Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. These are the opening words of an audiobook I listened to several years ago. The book itself is a pretty good book, but that simple opening sentence stuck with me. It stuck with me because it is so simple, but also because it is so true. And you think about it, only one life. There are no do-overs. We get one shot at life, and then it's over. I read something once that said life is like a dollar bill. You can spend it any way you want to, but you can only spend it once. Money, like life, can be wasted or it can be invested, but we only get one shot at it. Only one life will soon be passed. As a kid, I remember the old people talking about how quickly life passes. Now, the conversations I have with my brother involve things like, can you believe how old we are? How on earth did this happen? Minutes turn into hours, hours turn into days, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and years turn into decades far faster than you imagine they will when you're a teenager. Life passes quickly. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There is a certain desire in all people to want to live a life that counts. To live a life that matters. But what is the greatest way that we can make our life count for something significant? We have to figure out what has the most lasting impact and then do those things. And nothing has a more lasting impact than the things that we do for Jesus. Scripture teaches that everything we do for Jesus has eternal significance. Nothing else can measure up to that. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The absolute truth of that statement is challenging to me. It challenges me to pursue what has ultimate value in my life. It challenges me on what I need to say this morning and urge you not to waste your life, but to focus on doing those things that will do the most and the most lasting good. Scripture teaches us how to do this. Open your Bible to Matthew 6 and 24. It's page 738 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow was thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The title of the message is Pursuing Permanent Prestige. Let's pray. Our Father, we love You. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And we bow in Your presence and we surrender this time to You. We surrender our minds to You in this time to think about Your Word and what You have for us. We surrender our ears to hear what Your Spirit is going to say to us through the Word. We surrender our hearts that we could take what You have and we would let it sink deep, deep in and so it would bring forth fruit into our lives. We surrender our wills to go and to do all the things that You would have us to do to live in a way that would do the most good and be for Your glory. Father, today we pray that Your Holy Spirit would come that He would take the Word and He would use it like a hammer, Lord, to knock down strongholds we've erected in our minds so that our every thought could be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. We pray for the Holy Spirit to take the Word and use it like a fire, burn away the junk and the dross in our lives, that we would be pure vessels for Jesus. Father, take Your Word and use it powerfully. In our lives today. Those that are here that do not know Jesus as their Savior. Make them very aware of their lostness. And their separation from you. But let them also know. That there is a Savior who died. Is calling them to come. To lay their burdens down. To be forgiven. Believers that are sliding back in their relationship with you. Challenge them. Convict them. And let them return to the Father who will run to meet them with great joy and restore them into the kingdom and sonship. For those that are living for You, Father, that are seeking to do Your will, use this to strengthen and to challenge, to equip and to guide. We do not want this time to be a routine. We do not want this time to be a box that we check. We want it to be a time where we meet with You you speak through your word, and we are forever changed by what you've done in our lives. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way in all that happens, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. This passage is typically divided up into one of two sermons. 
One is do not worry. The other is seek first the kingdom of God. And these are both fine ways to preach and to teach this message so long as we know that they belong together. That this is not two individual passages, but it is one long passage that all goes together. And they can't be divorced from one another. The do not worry part is sort of bookended by two key thoughts. Right? First, no one can serve two masters. So he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, right, the implication being that you've chosen to serve God and not money. Therefore, don't worry about the things that money can buy. And then he goes on and repeats that same idea multiple times and says, But you, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Rather than worrying about all the things that that the world wants us to worry about, we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the primary, most basic understanding of the kingdom of God is the place of God's rule. It's the place where God's will is always done. It's done in the way that He wants it to be done. It's done when He wants it to be done. And so the picture is rather than worrying or pursuing all of these other things, what we are to do is to seek first for God to rule and to reign in our life. And the picture is that that is the way to do the most good. That when we spend our life in worry and pursuit of the things of the world, it is a a wasted life. And rather than wasting our life, we are to seek the rule and the reign of God in our life and do the things that He wants us to do. We waste our life when we pursue the things of this world. We waste our life when we spend it worrying and anxious about the things of this world. And rather than pursuing this world, rather than living with anxiety and wasting our time on this earth, we are to devote ourselves to Jesus and pursue His kingdom. And what He does here, He does in all of His passages, He leaves us with a choice to make. Will we pursue the things of the world? Or will we pursue Jesus? Will we waste our life? Or will we spend it for things that have eternal significance? If we are to spend our lives for things that have eternal significance, we must pursue Jesus. Right? And so, who I pursue determines what I do. Who I pursue determines what I do. Jesus gives us three ways that we are to pursue Him. First, we pursue proper priorities. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God. That is our our first priority. But the life that we live, it reflects the priorities that we have. Now, the life that we live, it doesn't typically or necessarily reflect our stated priorities. But the life that we live, it reflects our actual or our lived priorities. 
Because it's not uncommon for us to say we, we value one thing. That we prioritize one thing, but then we live in a way that shows something else is our priority. And what Jesus is calling for here isn't lip service. He's not saying, state with your mouth that you are seeking me first, that you are pursuing my kingdom. What he says is that you are to to demonstrate this with the life that you live, that your life should demonstrate that I and my kingdom are your priorities. We are to ensure all the time that our lives are in sync with Jesus and His will for our lives. And that sounds easy enough, but it is actually far more difficult than it sounds. Because to, to keep our lives in sync with Jesus, it does require us to set proper priorities. Now, when I was a kid in youth group and in church when I was younger, I was taught a list of priorities. You may have been taught a list like this too. There's, there's Jesus or God or however it was worded. There was family. There was work. And then there was money and stuff. Kind of everything else fell in line after that. And these were the basic elements of your priorities, but this was also the order they were to go in. Jesus first. Family second. Job third. Everything else kind of Fought for last place. And for most of my life, I really believe that's the way it was supposed to be. But I no longer think that's the correct way we're supposed to set up our priorities. And it's not so much that the list is a wrong list. And it's not even so much that they're in the wrong order. It's just that it's incomplete when we do it in that way. Now, Because think about what Scripture teaches about our life. Scripture teaches we are to do everything that we do right down to our eating and drinking for the glory of God. Scripture teaches we are to do all things, including what we say and how we act as representatives of Jesus Christ in this world. Every word we speak is spoken as a representative of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God. Everything that we do It's to be done as a representative of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God. And this means that we must be careful not to do or say anything that would bring dishonor to the name of Jesus. It means we must be careful to ensure that Jesus is honored by our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our words, our actions, and our reactions. We are to seek to ensure that Jesus is glorified by every aspect of our lives. Everything we do at all times in our life is to be done for the glory of God. Now that may not be new information. But what I want us to understand is how that connects to setting proper priorities. Again, the list isn't a bad list. Those are things in our life and those are things that are important. In our life. But what often happens is we have these things and we have this list and we build a compartment for each list. Right? So we have a a Jesus compartment, we have a family compartment, we have a, a work compartment, and then we have a work and stuff compartment. Now, rarely do these compartments cross over where one impacts another. And that's where the problem comes. 
A problem comes when we say, I, I visit Jesus in the morning, and that's my first priority, and then the rest of my day is just everything else. See, we aren't really supposed to have a, a Jesus compartment. We're supposed to have life that is one big compartment where Jesus rules and reigns over all of it. Every part of our lives is meant to be lived with Jesus and for Jesus. But we're familiar with Romans 12.1 saying to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. And the idea of a living sacrifice is often difficult for us to wrap our mind around because we don't live in a sacrificial system world. But the message paraphrase does a good job with Romans 12 and 1 that captures the imagery of what Paul is communicating there. Right? He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, your eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you as the best thing you can do for Him. Now that is a perfect picture of what it is to be a living sacrifice. And it's a perfect picture of proper priorities. It's not that I have a Jesus compartment that is first in my life. And it's not that I have a family compartment that is second in my life. It's that I have Jesus. And all of my life is lived with Him at the helm. And I have laid every part of it before in my everyday, ordinary life. My sleeping, eating, working, walking around, family relationships, all things before Him as an offering to say, it's yours. Do what you want to do, how you want to do. You lead, I'll follow, no matter what. And when we look at it this way, our priorities change. Instead of a Jesus compartment, what we have is a question. What does Jesus want me to do in my pursuit of Him today? Does He want me to start a daily quiet time when I haven't had one? Does He want me to start a daily time of prayer when I haven't had one? Does He want me to increase my quiet time or my prayer time? Does He want me to tell someone about Him? Does He want me to fast and pray? Does He want me to, to do this? What does Jesus want me to do? In my relationship with Him today. A family compartment becomes what does Jesus want me to do in my family? Does He want me to work harder on loving my wife as He loves the church? Does Jesus want me to work on taking better care of my husband and my children? Does Jesus want me to start a family worship time? Does Jesus want me to put more effort in training up my children in the way that they should go? What does Jesus want me to do with my family today? A work compartment. It becomes what does Jesus want me to do on the job? Does Jesus want me to see my job as a way that I can serve Him? Does Jesus want me to work for my employer as though I were working for Him? Does Jesus want me to treat my co-workers better? Does Jesus want me to put others ahead of myself on the job? Does Jesus want me to treat those who work with me or for me with more respect and more dignity? What does Jesus want me to do on my job? 
And then a money and stuff compartment because what does Jesus want me to do with my money and my stuff? Does Jesus want me to give to missions? Does Jesus want me to increase my giving to missions? Does Jesus want me to work toward getting out of debt? Does Jesus want me to trust Him more and quit stressing over money? Does Jesus want me to buy groceries or pay a bill for the family down the street that is financially struggling? What does Jesus want me to do with my money and my stuff? Now that's a whole lot different than Jesus first, family second, work third, everything else fights for last place. The whole of our lives is meant to be lived under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is meant to be Lord over our lives. Who rules all aspects of our life. There is no aspect of our life that is not meant to be lived with Jesus as Lord over it. So to seek first the kingdom. It is to pursue proper priorities. And it's not Jesus first, family second, work third, everything else. It is Jesus in all of those areas. What do you want me to do? Who we pursue determines what we do. And if we are to pursue Jesus, then we must pursue proper priorities. Secondly, pursue proper purity. Jesus said we are to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Pursuing the righteousness of Christ, it is a natural response to pursuing Jesus. Those who pursue Jesus become more and more like Jesus. And one of the ways our likeness to Jesus is seen is in our our personal purity. As I was thinking about that this week, I have kind of come to the conclusion in my own life that one of the primary mistakes the church of Jesus Christ, at least in America, has made regarding purity is to limit it to morality. And in doing this, what we've done is made morality the ultimate standard of Christ-likeness. And as we've done this, it has led to great deception. Where morality is accepted in place of genuine devotion or genuine faith in Christ as evidence of salvation. The reality is moral people die and go to hell every single day. Because they have not repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. They have been deceived into believing that their morality makes them okay with God. When it is faith alone that justifies. They also go to hell unhindered. As believers look at them. And they recognize nothing of a semblance of a devotion or a faith in Jesus. But they say, oh, they're good people. Surely, surely they're okay. And we never confront them with their need for Jesus Christ. They live among us. They die beside us. And they split hell wide open. While morality is a part of the righteousness of the kingdom. It is not the sum total 
of the righteousness of the kingdom. The pursuit of proper purity. It is not merely the pursuit of morality. It is the pursuit of Christ likeness in our lives. We are pursuing Christ likeness in our attitudes, in our actions, in our speech, in our reactions, in our values and in our priorities. And those are radical changes, radically different than the culture and the world around us. And we've seen this throughout our study in the Sermon on the Mount. But we've seen what a the kingdom righteousness, what it is to be like Jesus, right? So like in our attitudes, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, mourn for their sin, mourn for the sins of others, and mourn for the brokenness of our world. Blessed are, are the meek who don't always have to put themselves up front. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be righteous and to do righteous. Blessed are the merciful. Those who are merciful to others. Pure in heart. Work for peace. Willing to suffer. For the sake of Christ. Those attitudes are very, very contrary to our world. We don't have time and we've talked about them in the past. But one in particular. Let me just do two. Merciful and peacemaker. Our world right now is merciless. For anyone who makes a mistake. Anyone who does something wrong. There is no mercy. Well, let me take that back. There is no mercy for those I don't agree with. If I'm a Republican, there is no mercy for the Democrat. If I'm a Democrat, there is no mercy for the Republican. If I'm conservative, there's none for the liberal. If I'm liberal, there's none for the conservative. If I'm a libertarian, there's none for anybody. The reality is, that's not like Jesus. That's like the world. That's not proper purity. We're to be merciful as Jesus was merciful. And peacemakers. Again, our world is filled with trolls. Who do nothing but go around and stir up strife and discontent everywhere and in every way that they can. And we feel justified because we're only stirring up that group, right? Those people. And again, that's not like Jesus. That's like the world. The attitude of Jesus, the purity of Jesus is working for peace. Not stirring of strife. And the very minimum of working for peace is Not stirring for strife. I cannot be a strife stirrer and like Jesus at the same time. That's proper purity of the attitudes. Actions. We're going to have to hurry. Be salt and light. The actions of a pure disciple of Jesus have a righteous influence on the world around them. But the actions... Of a pure disciple of Jesus. Have a positive righteous influence on the world around them. The actions of a pure disciple of Jesus. Glorify God. And leave that disciple with a righteous testimony. 
before a dark and a dying world? Do our actions have a positive influence? Do our actions leave us with a positive testimony? If not, we are not pure disciples. We are not pursuing the proper purity. We are more like the world. Speech. Matthew 5.37 Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Speech of a disciple is true. What he says he means. What he means he says. Reactions. Things like Turn the other cheek. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who spitefully use you. Again, that's not, that's not our world right now. I don't know if it's ever been our world. It's never been me in particular on a natural level. But on our world, it is certainly not that way. That goes to the lack of mercy in our world. If someone spites me, I will get even. Or I will get ahead. It doesn't matter how small it is. If I perceive it as a slight against me, I will jack their jaw and make sure they know that they were wrong. And the world says, absolutely, bro, go for it. And Jesus says, no. No, that's not how you're supposed to be. So we're not getting even and acting like Jesus. That's not the proper purity. That's the world leading us. Pure in our values. We looked at this last week. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. The world does not tell us to value the life to come, to value the things of eternity. Here and now, get all that you can, do all that you want, Right here, right now. And Jesus says, no. Value what is eternally significant. So when we value the world, we are not pure like Jesus. But we are like the world. The proper purity has the proper values. And then... Priorities, what we're looking at today. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All of this is a good picture of what it looks like to be like Jesus. This is what it means to be like Christ. This is what it means to pursue the righteousness of the kingdom. It's a constant process. We start it on the day that we're saved and it continues all of our lives. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're alive today, this process should be going on in you right now. You cannot say, not honestly, that you are pursuing Jesus if you are not pursuing a proper purity. Who we pursue determines what we do. Pursuing Jesus requires us to pursue proper purity. So we pursue proper priorities. We pursue proper purity. And then we pursue proper peace. Verse 33 ends with Jesus saying, And all these things shall be added to you. 
So what are the these things that will be added to our lives? Well, it's all the stuff we're told not to worry about in verse 25 through 32. And we don't have time to look at this passage in depth, but we are going to scan it to kind of fully understand what these things are. All right, so start by looking at verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you're what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, food and clothing make up the basic necessities of life. So Jesus isn't telling us here not to prepare or don't have a savings account or be lazy and thoughtless about the necessities of life. When you read Scripture, you see the, the value of planning for the future and being wise in your stewardship of the stuff that we have. Instead, what Jesus is talking about is not to be so preoccupied by gaining material possessions of life that we fall into the trap of pursuing these things. Don't be so wrapped up in pursuing the stuff of this life that we become anxious or disturbed or sleepless about them. Don't become so consumed with getting that we take little of no thought to Jesus and what His will for our life would be. Don't become so entangled with the affairs of this life that we forget that there is a life to come. That's what he means. Look at verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now there's a lot of different interpretations about what that means. The one that makes the most sense to me is about adding a cubit to your stature is adding really like a second to your lifespan. Right? With all of the worrying you do, can you increase the length of your life by even a second? Can you improve the quality of your life by even a degree? Can you add anything positive to your life at all by spending it worrying and anxious about all the things of this world? And the obvious answer is that no, that we can't. And since we can't, well, it's just a waste of our time. Right? Look at what he says in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient unto the, for the day is its own trouble. Right? We can't change anything about tomorrow. If we spend all day today worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, we don't affect a change in anything at all tomorrow, but what we do is ruin today. Right? We empty today of its pleasures. We empty today of its joy. We empty today of its peace, but we do nothing. About what comes tomorrow. Then look at verse 31 and 32. Therefore do not worry. Saying what shall we eat. Or what shall we drink. Or what shall we wear. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. He repeats. Not to worry. And then he gives us two reasons not to worry. One. That kind of worry. That kind of pursuit. Is what. The heathen, the pagans, those who don't know Jesus, that's what they do. Now that's huge. I mean, that should be a, this should be like a full stop on our lives if we live our lives pursuing and worrying about the stuff of this life. Because when we do that, we are acting like people who don't know Jesus. If I was going to be rude about it. I would say we most of us make fun of people like the Kardashians and they're seeking after all of these vain and worrying things. 
But when we seek after those same things, but maybe on a smaller scale, we are not morally or ethically different than they are. We are acting like that. So on one hand, we mock them for what they seek and what they worry about, what they stress over. And then we go home and we worry and we stress and we pursue the same things. We're essentially just like them. And very unlike Jesus. But the second reason is that your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I like that. Our Father knows that we need food and clothing. It's not a surprise to Him that we need those things to survive. Jesus doesn't have an unrealistic expectation for our lives that says we we just go out in the sun and get all the nutrients we need from that as long as we believe. He doesn't have these sort of unrealistic expectations that we don't need the basic necessities of life. He knows that there are genuine needs that we have. And He has promised to make sure that we have those as long as we pursue Him and His kingdom first. And He will be sure that we get what we need. And I think within many of us, there is an unfortunate and an irrational fear regarding pursuing Jesus in the way that we've talked about today. And it is if we pursue Jesus, we make Him the primary pursuit of our lives, then Jesus will make us become homeless and we'll be starving and naked. Now we wouldn't say it in those words, but it certainly seems the attitude that we have. It's a fear That pursuing Jesus and and making Him first. I mean, that devoted to Him above all else. Letting Him rule in my relationship with Him and my family and my job and my finances. Letting Him rule, it leads to a deprived life. It leads to joylessness. It leads to pennilessness. It leads to passionless. It leads to a miserable life. If Jesus is the primary pursuit of our life. I mean, doesn't that sound just like Jesus who said that He came to give us life and life more abundantly? I think part of the problem is that we look at things like this and we look at them as Americans more than we look at them as just regular old disciples of Jesus. And I'm not down on America. I'm not one of those people who thinks that all the problems in the world are because of America. But let's be honest. Americans view the world very differently than the vast majority of the world does. As Americans, we're we're prosperous. We're pampered. We like our possessions. And we expect prosperity as a part of life. And these things tend to cause us to view the world, especially success and blessing, In light of material prosperity, personal comfort, and financial success. But Jesus doesn't promise to give us all the money and the comfort and the stuff the world has to offer. He promises to give us all of these things that He knows that we need. Part of, really, that's hard to realize for us is that we don't really need Everything that we want. 
many times we don't want what it is that we really need. Jesus knows what we need. And he knows that what we think we need aren't the same thing. The promise that he gives us is that when we pursue him, that he will give us the things that we need. Which doesn't mean we're going to drive Lincoln Navigators and live in mansions. But it does mean we'll have what we truly need. And we will recognize Jesus as the giver of every good thing that we have. When we pursue Jesus and we trust that He is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do, that leaves us with peace rather than anxiety. And if we want the peace that comes from God, we have to pursue the proper peace. We can't pursue the peace that comes from a big bank account. We can't pursue the peace that comes from a big house. We can't pursue the peace that comes from lots of stuff. We have to pursue the peace that comes from Christ and Christ alone. If we are to follow Jesus, to pursue Jesus, we must pursue the proper peace. Who we pursue determines what we do. And pursuing Jesus requires us to pursue the proper peace. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes for a chance to respond to what God has said. You may have noticed in every point in the outline, it said pursue proper. And those two words were chosen intentionally. Let me explain. Pursue is an action where we chase after something. We never arrive the things we talked about this morning. We never arrive where we always have the perfect priorities. We never arrive where we always have the perfect purity. We never arrive where we always have the perfect peace. Some days we will do them well. Other days we will do them very poorly. And on the days that we pursue them well... We keep pursuing them. And on the days where we pursue them poorly. We get up. And we start the pursuit again. We just keep on. Keeping on. And then proper. Implies that there are right and wrong. Correct or incorrect. Pursuits. Not everything we can pursue. Is the right or correct pursuit. Whether we're talking about purity whether we're talking about priorities, or whether we're talking about peace. Pastor Francis Chan says, Our greatest fear in life shouldn't be in failing, but in succeeding in things that ultimately don't matter. Spending our lives pursuing the wrong things, no matter what these wrong things were, or how successful we were in acquiring them, it is a tragedy. And it is a wasted life. So who or what are you pursuing? And if you would say, Jesus, are you pursuing the proper things in the proper ways? Chances are with all of us, there are areas where we struggle to pursue Jesus properly.
the world around us, the enemy who hates us, and our own sinful nature ensure this will always be difficult. But despite this struggle, we must pursue the proper things in the proper ways if we're to pursue Jesus. Does that struggle within you, does it bother you that it's hard to pursue the proper things? Do you desire to pursue Jesus with all that you are in all of your life? If so, I I want you to raise your hand this morning as a way to acknowledge the conflict within you and your desire to pursue Jesus above all else. Now, pursuing Jesus begins by coming to Jesus for salvation. If you have met her, never personally chosen to call on Jesus to save you. That's where everything has to begin. You must repent of your sins and you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance starts by recognizing that you've been wrong about your sin, that it is serious and it is against God. And it leads you to turn from it and turn to Jesus. And then it leads us to call on Jesus to save us. Everything in the Christian life, everything that there is, begins repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you know that you need to make that decision, you need to call on Jesus to save you. I want you to raise your hand as a way of saying, I want Jesus as my Savior. We're going to take a few minutes to pray right now. And if you have raised your hand in either time, I want you to take this time and I want you to confess your struggle to Jesus. I want you to call on Him to save you, but spend this time praying, calling on Jesus to help you, to save you, to strengthen you and to guide you.